This is Brock and Salk. I don't read the internet, guys. Presented by Carter, Volkswagen, and Ballard. Take the bull by the hands. On Seattle Sports. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. And Brooke Roy, you are. And Brooke, you are. Now here are your hosts, Brock Heward and Mike Salk. All right, we uh, roll on here. Jeff Passan will join us in 30 minutes. Did you miss Jeff last week, Brock? I did. I did get to watch a lot of him, by the way. I got a good workout in the other day. Of course. And I was watching uh, the pregame to the College World Series of Baseball tonight, and he was on there with Ben McDonald. Remember old Ben? Great pitcher. And, yeah, Passan was great. But I did see his 70 SPF come into play. Really? He's, yeah, yeah. He's not he's not the tannest guy, which I get. You know, protect your skin. I get it. He's got to he, do that. He protects his hair. He protects his skin. He does the things that I don't do well. So God bless him. And I got some good ones for him, by the way. After a week off, I got a couple like re- good rebuild questions. How has Arizona done this? How have other teams done it compared to the Mariners? And yeah, yeah, we're gonna have some fun with Jeff in good. thirty minutes. Well, How does he protect his hair? Um, I think he takes stuff. I think he told us that. Right? Okay. I think yeah. I think he. You, you can you know. You can you could be proactive. Pro game. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> My buddy Chris was losing his hair and he decided this was like when we were in our twenties. He he uh-huh. bought something called Pro Gain with a P. Pro Gain. It's like a shampoo. It's twenty five years later, he still has all his hair. It's unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. I, I I've never seen anything quite like it. So I, as far as I know, that's like some sort of miracle drug. I don't know. John Curley will probably be endorsing it soon or something. But anyway, uh, let me uh, let me read this to you, Brock. This is from uh, your friend Bill Barnwell with ESPN. Not writes, a pro game guy. Bill, no, not a pro game he's guy. A, he's, a, he's a smart football writer guy. Anyway, here's what he wrote about the Seahawks because he's trying to figure out the, uh, the most elite offenses, the most elite offensive arsenals. And he has the Seahawks at number four. What? Fourth best offensive arsenal behind the Eagles, the Bengals, Justin, and the Niners. He says, this time last year, I was writing about how we would expect Seattle's playmakers to decline after Russell Wilson was swapped out for replacement level quarterbacks. Oops. The Seahawks offense thrived with Geno last season, and their group of playmakers just got even better with the additions made by GM John Schneider. We've talked about one-two punches quite a few times here, but I'm so excited to see what the top three wideouts can do in Seattle. Buoyed by pinpoint accuracy from Smith, we're going to be seeing highlight reel catches from DK, Tyler, and Jackson Smith and Jigba. It seems worth noting Smith and Jigba outperformed teammates Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave when those three were together in Ohio State during the 21 season. Anyway, he goes on more of there. Talks about how DK was maybe a little bit unlucky last year. Then he says the Seahawks had their own candidate for the Offensive Rookie of the Year voting as running back Kenneth Walker finished second behind Wilson. While Walker put a few incredible runs on tape in an impressive season, I'm not sure the 22-year-old was as impressive on closer inspection. He was wildly inconsistent and struggled to keep on the offense on schedule. He goes on with some metrics on that. You should read this whole thing. Anyway, uh, uh, just sort of looking at that as a, a in general, it kind of led, I thought, to some interesting conversations. One, Pete Carroll with a top five offense? Wow. Wow. Like the, the, the pundits say is top five, not not like the Hold stats on. say. Not the, the pundits only... are not saying this. Is, let me let me clarify. The pundit here is not saying they're a top five offense. He's arsenal. saying they have a top five arsenal. Right, weaponry. Weaponry that on does paper. not include the offensive line, which is conversation number two. But, but the anyway. talent on paper is is number four in the league. Yeah, ahead of Kansas City, ahead of Buffalo, 
head of Miami? Is is you were rattling that off and, and reading through it. So who are the three? Philly, obviously. Philly, San Cincinnati, Francisco. and San Francisco. Okay, so you understand all of those. I mean, Kansas City's got some pretty good. Kelsey's a pretty good weapon. Receiving crew's pretty good. Miami, they're, they're, they're loaded a running back, receiver, really? Jacksonville, even? Adeline Ridley, adding Ridley to, to their crew with ETN. And you're, wow, that feels a bit rich to me. But then again, you add, as, as I read through that, you add Jackson, Smith, and Jigba. I mean, you add him to the list, and, and I, I reference that sound. You should go to the, the Seahawks Twitter site and listen to the mic'd up of Gino rave about number 11, mm-hmm. that this guy is already an absolute pro. And so I guess if, yeah, you add him to Tyler and DK, you've got three tight ends, you got a 1,000-yard bat. Yeah, I mean, it's it's. I tr- this is where I actually trust Bill Barnwell yeah, he's because he gets – He's, he's kind of professor-esque in that way. If there's anybody that follows in the footsteps of John Clayton's databases, as much as anybody, it would be Bill Barnwell in, in a dark room somewhere just punching I just, numbers. I think the idea of Pete Carroll with a top five offense is confusing for a lot of people, right? Just um, based on a lot of the conversations we've had here in the last few years, Pete's got a lot of weapons, and it'll be interesting to see how he, he chooses to use them this year. Do they matter if the offensive line doesn't continue to improve? Uh, the only thing that really affects that is whether or not Geno protects the football. So that, that is because remember what happened when they had a top five offensive group. Remember that season just a couple years ago when they were rolling, and I think it was maybe the COVID year, but four, five, six games in, you're like, is this a Pete Carroll team? Their defense is a sieve, the worst in the history of the league, and the offense is the best in the league. And Russell Wilson's on pace to throw for 5,000 yards and 40 touchdowns. Like, what, what's going on? And then what happened? Then what happened? Russell started to give the ball away. Right. And then as you you became just this wide open offense, here's a turnover, there's a turnover, you lose a game. There, Here's a turnover, there's a turnover, you lose a game. What and, did you do? And the defense wasn't doing its job. And no. I think Pete felt like there was a, a, a correlation between those so two So what things. did he do? You pull back, and, pull back and you pull in the reins. But, you know, if the if the if the offense can't help but succeed and if it's a great if you use those weaponry for great ball control, yes, then it should be just fine. Yeah, because I think his offense, I may, geez, I'm getting old. I may, you see? I, I may have forgotten some of this, but I think in that dynastic run in the 2000s, as good as the defensive players were. I think most of the players that people know, I'd say Carson Palmer, Reggie Bush, I think some of the greatest superstars. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Paul Amalo, there were, there were those on defense. But let's be very clear when he had the explosive offense and the Heisman Trophy winners liner, I don't think he minded mm. scoring 40, 50, and playing with an absolute flair offensively either. I, I kind of agreed with Barnwell's anal- analysis of Ken Walker. I know you did. I thought he was good last year, so I don't. I thought I don't... whatever the success rate that was just I flushed that. Really? What? Yes, because that does not correlate that's in not any way, right? I mean that that there is so many factors, and that's why it's really hard to judge that because you don't know what the run what the run call was, you don't know what the combo blocks was, you don't know what was right. Jerry rigged that week to you know in their schemes and everything else. I still felt like watching him last year, just eye test. He was really good. But maybe I wasn't quite as impressed as I wanted to be, or felt like I don't. Know, I felt like I was the only one because everybody because his home really runs. Loved because it. to use a baseball analogy, his home runs, you know, were not in the win moments. He hit home runs, mm-hmm. 
and and he didn't take enough singles. Like there was a big stretch there that he had to learn. Like no, bro, don't go. You're you're Julio or, or Rodriguez. Even doubles. I mean, I think I was looking for more doubles, honestly, from him. And and you know those just six seven yard runs, mm-hmm. not the three four yard runs where you get what's there, but the six seven yard runs where you get just a little bit more. And it doesn't have to be a home run. Also, I think they tended to agree with you because I think they took somebody in the second round. Right. So I, I think so, whether it's your analysis, whether it's Bill's analysis, whatever analysis, the proof is in the pudding. And as much as they loved Ken and he was awesome, he had to grow as a receiver, which he's put a lot of work in this offseason and continues to put in. And then, yeah, let's let's get another guy that I think you will see is a lot Rashad penny the closer we get to the season, I think you're going to see Zach Charbonnet. And when he gets his touches, much like you appreciated that five-yard average from Rashad Penny, and hopefully he can be much more durable than Rashad was in his five years here, there's a lot of Rashad Penny yeah. in Charbonnet's game. And that one-two punch should be pretty darn well, good. I'm definitely looking forward to that. The last part here, though, is if I'm Geno Smith, this is great, right? I got all this weaponry. It also means... Hey, man, yes, sir. better get it done because yes, you've sir. got the fourth best weapons in the league and a deal that could be if they wanted to be a one year deal. So uh, go find a way to get the ball to all these guys. Go be a distributor. Go be a point guard, because otherwise, you know, we can't wait. Right. Like, yeah, you and, gotta go uh, find somebody else. Yeah. And, you know, who else? Uh, Phil Henry and Damian Lewis and Evan Brown and Abe and Charles. Hey, dude, do your job. Do your job. Give, give this man some time because this arsenal is one of the league's Phil best. Henry, I think the uh, cousin of Phil Haynes, who's going to be uh, going to yeah, be uh, playing guard for this I almost team. Did it. Almost had it. All right. Yeah, we'll come 80%. back with things you actually need to know. Maybe some mixed up names. And then uh, Jeff Passan will join us at 830. Uh, it's Brock and Seattle Sports on 710. Need to know. 15 minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk. Here's what you need to know. Up first. A win, a win for the Mariners yesterday. Didn't start off great. They were down one nothing right away, and then they were down 3-1. to one, But it finished off a lot better. They scored seven straight runs in the middle innings. They beat Washington 8-4. to four. They got a home run from Crawford. He had a couple of hits. Mike Ford had enough two more hits. Julio had three hits, which was great to see, using his legs to uh, to beat out a single to third base. And then uh, Eugenio Suarez with a big bomb. Wind up and the old one. Swing and a well hit ball deep to left field down the line way gone and this one is a fair ball goodbye baseball the only question whether that ball was going to stay fair it did and uh yeah the mariners win it castillo not sharp early but he certainly got sharper as the night went on seven innings only allowed two earned runs seven strikeouts against a team that really doesn't strike out very much He's pretty good last night, Brock. Yeah, give me that uh, Scott service cut, cut number four on the sheet here, because everybody hit last night. Mm -hmm. It was a collective effort, the top of the lineup, the bottom of the lineup. Everybody got on base, save for Cal Raleigh. But as you listen to the skipper, uh, he played just as big a role in a selfless night as anybody. Well, it's very selfless. And I think that's, you know, we've talked a little bit about, you know, where we're at in the season and, and what we need to do to put a good streak together. And... It's no coincidence when you're selfless like that and you give yourself up for the team. And all of a sudden, instead of just getting one run, we ended up with three runs that inning because we're doing the right things and executing there. So, uh, again, Cal doesn't get any hits tonight. But in my mind, he might have had one of the bigger at-bats tonight uh, in the game because it, it just moves the game along. Gino follows it up, like I said. Jared gets the momentum going with the stolen base and you know, a really nice offensive game. Give me single-digit strikeouts. 
Uh, I may do a little homework, and if you're listening out there and you already have done this homework, you can text it in. It's a Mariners record this year when their team has single-digit strikeouts offensively. Right, it was nine last night, so they kind of flirted with double digits. But you know, when they just do, and I think he's referencing a ground ball to get the run or over. Mm-hmm. When they just or a sack fly, just just you know, productive outs yeah, th- that helps. They also hit the ball well last night, which they mattered did. a lot too. Jared Kelnick said it after the game. Yeah, I mean, twelve hits usually gets it done, which he did today. Um, we're, I think we're having really good at bats as a team. Um, I don't think we're chasing as much as maybe we were a few weeks ago. Um, and myself included, uh, which is great. Um, but, you know, I think as a team, we're playing really good baseball. And we went through a rough stretch, but I think now we're on the, the right path. Did I hear him yell fire truck? I think that's what he said. Yeah, fire truck after right. he took strike three last night. Uh-huh. Not upset at the ump. I think he was upset at himself on that one. That was 92 right down the middle. They'll play again tonight. Brian Wu, Jake Irvin, the pitching matchup. Here's the second thing. You need to know. And the Calder Memorial Trophy goes to Manny Benil. A lot of Is excitement. Chris Farley? No, it's uh, Jelly Roll. <laughs> yeah, Brock, I think you actually might like some of the Jelly Roll music. That's Jelly Roll, Brock. He's oh, got a tattoo it? on his face. Oh, I've seen that guy. He's a big boy. Yeah, big boy. He's a big boy. Tattoo on his face. Oh, yeah. How do you feel about the face tattoo? Well, we had a chef up there at the lodge, neck and face tattoos. He, he neck. How do you feel about the face tattoo? Yeah, you've you've jumped all in then. <laughs> You're going face tattoo. <laughs> That's a great way of describing it. You're yeah. all in. You're all in. You you've let that define you. Yeah, there's, not that, 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 there's not much There's not much Congrats to Matty Beneers. He is the uh, Rookie of the Year Calder Cup, uh, Calder Trophy, rather, winner in the NHL. His coach, Dave Haxtall, finishes third in Coach of the Year voting, got one first-place vote behind Jim Montgomery and Lindsey Ruff. Tomorrow, the start of the NHL draft, free agency right after that. Uh, and I, I mentioned that trade yesterday in the NHL, which I thought was, I don't know, uh, kind of up your alley, Brock, on that Julio line of, of mm-hmm. the Blackhawks saying, hey, we're about to draft a generational talent number one in Connor Bedard. Let's go get a guy in Taylor Hall who was once in that same spot as a first overall pick and what he endured and what he went through. And, you know, now he's a kind of a, a veteran who could maybe help pave the way for Connor Bedard. So I think some of that makes sense. We talked to Rob Simpson this morning and, you know, the Kraken have a ton of picks in this year's draft. It starts at number 20, but they've got three in the second round. I don't know whether they're going to pull off a big deal to to get Beneers sort of some help and whether or not Toronto is going to be a, a willing trade partner with one of their studs. But tonight, or tomorrow night, rather, um, or the night after, either Wednesday or Thursday, are the nights you'd be most likely to see a deal get done. Here's the third thing you need to know. Brock has nothing to add. I think I covered all of that one. Oh, no, I added my face tattoo and Chris Farley. Oh, nice job. That was good. That's all I have. Well done. Uh, Last night, not a lot to add on the uh, College World Series either. The uh, LSU Tigers just dominate 18-4. They beat Florida to win the title. Uh, We are two weeks away, less than two weeks away from the baseball draft. Speaking of picks. Yeah, the Mariners have been linked to some interesting names, too. I've read a ton about this last night. So they have picks 22, 29, and 30. Yep. So they can go in a lot of different directions. And by the way, then, those are nothing, right? I, I know they're not the top three picks or five. Essentially, picks. They, three first round picks. Th- yeah. And, yeah, and there the, have been a lot of very good players. I think Mike Trout was in the mid twenties. Well, the and way. when you have slot money, they have some extra money slotted because of it. It's kind of confusing to understand, but they can do some things to really bring in some top tier talent. 
uh, which I would expect them to do. They've they've done a great job with spending all their draft money, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, it's funny because you look at the major league team and hitting is such a concern. And at the top level of the minor leagues, they don't have a lot of hitting, but I think they've got a lot at the bottom of the minor leagues. Jason Churchill has written more that more waves of that than they've ever had. Yeah, so I would I would expect at least one, if not bo- two, of those three picks to go to pitchers. We'll wait and see how it goes down, but I still look at it and say, if you got an opportunity to add real corner power, that is still something that this organization needs. Yeah, and I will look at it and say that minor league baseball, and I know they gave a little bump in salary. It's still nothing compared to what some of these top end players are making playing college baseball, especially down south in the in the SEC, where where the money and that pipeline, Mike, and that NIL money doesn't just go to the football programs; it goes to the men's and women's basketball programs. It filters into college baseball. College baseball has seen ratings grow, revenue grow. Uh, especially those places like Florida, like LSU, like Vanderbilt and the SEC, the ACC loaded with them, some powerhouses as well. And you're going to see a lot of college players drafted in that mm-hmm. first round and very likely to buy you Tigers in the first three picks. No Tommy draft. Tanks, though, yet, right? He's still he's another only year or two away. Gosh, he bad. looks like Justin Barnes. He's got some Justin Barnes. Dude, he is, he's fun, man. Yeah. He's pretty fun. He's pretty fun to watch. All right. That is everything you need Anybody to know. Anybody with facial hair, I just think Justin Barnes. Everybody hair. with wow. facial hair. Facial hair and hair. And just kind of got that Libby grit to but him. Justin just doesn't have the hair that. anymore. Like, I know. He doesn't have the long hair like when you first met him. And he's the first baseman, right? He is a third baseman. Yeah. Third, Tommy yeah, Tanks. That, that makes even more he's sense. You? That's, that's what I know. I'm calling oh, yeah. yeah. You, he Mike Blowers, and Tommy from Tanks. Ted Lasso. Yeah, everyone that has a facial hair, people think you look like. Yeah, was it, was it Brock that said it looked like Beard from Ted Lasso? Or was that no, G? That, that was G. G. Yeah. 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 I don't know about that one. <laughs> I mean, that one. Not unlike him. You said Aaron Rodgers one day. And Much, I yeah, you got some Aaron Rodgers to you. Yeah, in the nose. <laughs> no, you got sort of right. a narrow bridge of your that's, nose. That's kind of everything like you need to know. That's everything you need to know and probably some extra. Who does too. Justin look like? Text in. <laughs> Brock, Brock, have you ever broken your nose? I never broke my nose. Wow. No, never. No, that's not true. As a kid, I think I broke my nose and it deviated my septum, and I had to go and get that fixed. Yeah, but, but that was just quarterback, yeah. you never broke your nose. No, uh uh-uh. uh. Whoa. No, lots of other areas stitches under my chin, stitches on my forehead, stitches at the top of my head, lots of other issues, but never. I had to, I ran into a catcher playing Little League baseball and I looked like a unicorn. I don't know how my whole head didn't explode. I had a bump as a hematoma as big as you can imagine, but no, never, never the nose, never the nose. You Salk, you ever break your nose? You know, I was I'm gonna answer no and I'll just wait for more to be like, really? Nobody ever broke your nose for you? That's <laughs> yeah. surprising. All right. Jeff Passett will join us next. Brock and Shut Salk. Seattle Sports on 710. You're listening to Brock and Salk. Powered through the Alaska Airline Studio. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. It's Tuesday, it's 8:30, and that means it's Jeff Passon time. Good morning, Jeff. Good morning, gentlemen. How are you? Dude, you look good on set the other day, Pass, and I got to tell you, man, you look good. You you, you exude you. Yeah, you exude. Uh, let's see how I can try it. If I was a consultant, and after a lot of years of doing this, I I feel like I'm, I'm a consultant in some ways. I was in the gym in Birmingham watching you and Ben McDonald uh, do a little baseball tonight before the College World Series. You exude a an excellent confidence with still a likability. 
You know, because I think a lot of times there's just an arrogance that can come, but you have this confidence, but there's still a fun little likability. Uh, <laughs> how, how do you do that? I, I, I appreciate you saying that because somebody sent me a, a screenshot of me on TV, and I believe my response to it was, what a smug bastard. Because <laughs> I definitely can have that Yeah, look that's too. what I would have described you as. Right. I was sort of surprised <laughs> to hear Brock say that. I generally think more like smug bastard. So I'm very surprised. <laughs> you know, sometimes Brock gets it right. Sometimes well, he gets it wrong. Well, maybe it's because it's personal for me. And I realize, like, how was that guy in Hawaii for a week and still, you know, not very tan? Ah. Like, to me, that was the likability. Uh, like. Yeah, the ad, Brock. The answer to that is uh, SPF seventy. <laughs> right, seventy. <laughs> didn't even know such a thing existed. Unbelievable. Hey, well, you get Mike, when you're as, when you're as white as I am, you know such things exist. <laughs> are you uh, Are you ready to come to Seattle here in another week or so? Oh man, it's sneaking up on me. It really is. Like this is this is the time of year where there's a lot of travel going on and had to go drop my kid off at camp. So I'm up in the Northeast and got to go up there again this week for the all-star reveal shows. And, you know, when you have an all-star reveal show, that means you got an all-star game coming up pretty soon. So I'm, I'm getting into town on like Friday, I think. Nice. Uh, Yes. Going to, going to very likely go on a uh, mandate with, uh, with Greg Bishop on Friday night. And, uh, then the baseball activities begin. Cool. Well, I hope, uh, we'll maybe even be able to get you in studio Tuesday morning for, for your hit. Oh yeah. No that, doubt. That would be great. Um, what should we expect just to, for those, for those of us who have not experienced an all-star game in our city. And I have not, I've never been in the city for, with an all-star game. What is it like? There's just a cool energy. It, you know, it feels like when there's an all-star game in town that baseball is taking over every element of the city. And, uh, you know, there's always a palpable buzz going into the home run derby. And uh, while the game itself is is rarely exciting and it's still an exhibition game and it never should have counted for World Series home field advantage, and I'm glad that it doesn't now, it's still cool to see all of these great players on the field at the same time. Like the, the quality of what you get there is incredible. And the futures game is really cool too, knowing just how many players have gone from that uh, to stardom in the big leagues. And then it's just the ancillary events, you know, there's baseball everywhere. And that's like a dream scenario for me. I mean, baseball everywhere is a good thing. And the fact that a a great city like Seattle is going to be spending, you know, the better part of a week uh, enmeshed in that, uh, I think is awesome for the sport. You think that home run derby could come at the most perfect time for Julio, a catalytic event to maybe jumpstart a second half run? It's it's funny you say that because normally people are frightened of the home run derby. Like it's going to screw something up. Like we were last year, frankly, right? He went into it a little banged up. Like, I don't know if you want to mess with his swing. He was so good in June. And yeah, I think last year we had that reservation. I think this year, many of us are like, no, man, go for it. Get that glow, get that smile, get that joy back and go out there and, and use it as a catalyst. Yeah, I, you know, I remember being on the field with Eduardo Perez during batting practice for the Home Run Derby last year, and he was watching Juan Soto, and he's like, I think he's finding his swing. 
And lo and behold, Juan Soto came out absolutely on fire after that. And I mean, you know, it can happen. Like you can get locked in. And and Julio certainly was locked in last year at the Home Run Derby. So uh, I, I'm not counting on it, but I am certainly hopeful. Hmm. Uh, Jeff, like a lot of people in baseball, I, I think we've all sort of learned so much about statistics over the course of the last now, what, 20 years or so. And there are times where I take them very, very seriously and times where I will admit to still some skepticism. So I'll ask you this with that sort of as the background. The Mariners this year are actually scoring more runs than they did last year. They are actually giving up a few more runs than they did last year, which is funny because the pitching staff's been generally so good. But the biggest difference is the one-run games. Last two years, they've won a ton of them. This year, that record has gone exactly the other way. Is that something they are doing differently or maybe not doing the way as well as they did last year? Or is it simply a matter of sample size that would eventually even out in both directions? Yeah, I think it's probably more the latter. And I I know that's not a a satisfactory answer, but if, if there were rhyme and reason to one run games, I think baseball would be understood a whole lot better. And there's just not like, what about the Marlins has made them so good in one run games this year? I suppose you can argue that a lockdown bullpen is the kind of thing that manifests itself in one run games. You know, it's late. And if you can throw in some relievers who are going to be able to put up zeros, then, hey, you're, you're going to do better naturally in one run games. And Yet the the Mariners bullpen, I mean, it's awesome. pretty darn good. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so that that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. It doesn't it doesn't square with the the theory that I have about a a bullpen being the key to one run game. Is there anything um, to pressurizing opponents and doing things to f- force them to make mistakes, et cetera? Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's just putting the ball in play, right? And the Mariners aren't very good at that. So I, I think that that certainly has something to do with it. They, they are not a team that plays very good situational baseball. They're not a team that's, that you would say is well-disciplined. So this, to me, is more of an offensive problem than it is a pitching problem. Jeff passing with us. Jeff, you do an awesome job of staying connected to all of these teams. And, and I know we're not your only hit during the week to talk about the team. Uh, and But obviously, we're close to it. We listen to it. We're around it every single day. I'm curious from, from your perspective to fly in and listen to this cut from Scott Service yesterday. Uh, this was after a, a real nice win, a collective effort of putting the ball in play. Uh, everybody on the team hit other than Cal, and you're going to hear him reference that. I'm curious what your takeaway is from this cut from Scott yesterday post game. Well, it's very selfless. And I think that's, you know, we've talked a little bit about, you know, where we're at in the season and, and what we need to do to put a good streak together. And it, it's no coincidence when you're selfless like that and you give yourself up for the team. All of a sudden, instead of just getting one run, we ended up with three runs that inning because we're doing the right things and executing there. So, uh, again, Cal doesn't get any hits tonight. But in my mind, he might have had one of the bigger at-bats tonight uh, in the game because it, it just moves the game along. Gino follows it up, like I said. Jared gets the momentum going with the stolen base and, you know, a really nice offensive game. 
To hear a manager speak of selflessness 80 games into a season, what's your read? My read is that he's implying that they have been selfish up to this point. And I, you know, I don't know if selfish is necessarily the right term there because I don't think that, I I think selfishness is an active choice. And I don't, and I think it's a choice of bad faith, right? It's something that you're doing uh, knowing that what you are doing is wrong. I think the, the pressing that the Mariners have had this year, Brock, is more a function of them trying to do too much and trying to get themselves back on track because they understand that this offense is struggling and they want to be the catalyst. Yeah, we've and seen selfish. Like, we, we've seen Sean Figgins. Like, we have seen that level of just inherent selfish bad guy. And I would, I would agree with you. This, this, to me, have you ever had somebody build a house for you or been around that situation or had something oh, built? Jeff, or, Jeff would do that himself. He's, he's the kind of guy who would build his own house. He's a handy. Yeah. He's, a, he's a handy like you, Salt. Yeah, that's, that's, I am. I am not handy. <laughs> yes. I am no, not handy you at don't all. Say. I, I, well, no. Okay. So what, let's, let's, let's like determine levels of handiness here. Tell me what constitutes. When was the last time you used a wrench and socket? When was the last time you used a wrench and socket? If you can screw in a light bulb, if you can change a light bulb, you're handy. (laughs) Oh, come on. Give me, I I mean, I can, I hang things all the time. I can use a a stud finder. Like, I'm not laying tile. No. I'm not handy like that. No. That's my, that's my, that's my brother in law. My brother in law is, he's just the worst. He's he's like a Harvard educated doctor who knows how to lay tile. Huh. Like what a turd, honestly. <laughs> okay. So anywho, you buried your brother in law. So anywho, back to the independent contractor. We we had some folks do some some basement work for us, right? And it turned out yep. that one of the guys, the framer, was one of the framers was terrible. And so then the guy that had to come and or no, the, excuse me, the framer was okay. The sheetrock was terrible. So then the painter had yep. to come in. He's like, this is a disaster. I mean, I'm going to try to yep. clean up his mess, but it's just such a disaster. And it's like all of these little independent contractors trying to do their job. And to me, that is what this offense has felt like. Like, okay, well, I got to clean up this mess. I mean, we're just striking out left and right. So now I got to hit a home run, right? Now I got to try to do something superhero because, you know, we're getting no traction out of, out of AJ or, or Colton or, you know, DH or any of this stuff. So I got to, and I, and I know fans hate hearing I'm trying to do too much, but to me, that is what I, I, I hear Scott implying is, just actually be selfless. Just do the little thing. Just move the runner along. Don't, swing for the fences every time yeah isn't this to you guys a, a function of the mariners inability to get on base like that that's what all of this goes back to for me if you're going to be a power oriented team uh, you, you know the mariners don't have a ton of speed they're not going to steal a lot of bases so you got to find a way to put up runs and uh if you're going to put up runs via power then you need to have guys on base. You know, you can't have that sort of situation where uh, you got a bunch of solo home runs. It's just not going to work. And the Mariners right now are 24th in baseball with a 309 on base percentage. And you're just not going to score enough runs. Yeah. Here's the if, problem, though, Jeff. If, Here's the problem. 
If you want to be a good slugging percentage team and hit a lot of home runs, you have to also have a good slugging percentage. And I think if you look, click if you click over one column on whatever database you're looking at, I'm assuming baseball reference, and, and sort by slugging, I think you'll see they're also 24th in slugging percentage. That is 100% accurate. That's a bit of a problem. And you can't be a slugging team and not slug. Yeah, but you can't. Okay, so <laughs> let's say that you're a slugging team that's not slugging, Mike. You can make up for it by being on base. Agreed. And they're not doing that either. And they're supposed to be good at both of those things. I think that's what's frustrating is they've gone out and, and built a team that does strike out a lot, that isn't going to hit for a high average. Okay, fine. I can accept those things. But they're supposed to be able to take more walks. They're supposed to be able to have a high on base percentage. And they're supposed to be able to hit a bunch of home runs. And those things haven't happened this year, which is what's so aggravating. Out of 30 teams, do you know where the Mariners' strikeout rate is? 27th, 26th, something like that. 29th, only behind the Minnesota Twins, who have Joey Gallo and Byron Buxton and a bunch of other guys who strike out, but actually slug, too. So was this predictable? We had that conversation with Jerry last week, and and he he kind of you know I think Salk asked him you know just that exact question. Here's here it is. Here's Jerry's answer to that question. Don't know how, and I've said this before on the airwaves. I, I take full responsibility for putting this roster together. This is the same team, the same core of a team that 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 did the things that it did a year ago, and frankly played a pretty good season in 2021. And, you know, our pitching has generally stood up to, to expectations and, and then some. It's a, could we talk about park factors and weather in the early season? Sure. It's, it's now the third week in June, and we're still doing the same thing and, and making the same mistakes. And at some point, we have to, we have to collectively get back on track. And, and I don't think it's going to be one player at a time. I really don't. I think this is going to be one of those things that is contagious. Was this predictable to be the 29th strikeout team? Predictable to be 24th in on base? Predictable to be 24th in slugging? Was any of this, Jeff Passan, from your perspective, predictable going into the season? Brock, if it were predictable, I don't think I would have called Mariners fans spoiled for wanting more offense. <laughs> Fair. And I'm going to be, I, I, am, I am still, by the way, wearing that as, you know. Gave my Mia culpa, but I'm going to wear that one for a long time. I, like I, I, I referenced this in a conversation earlier in the week. It's uh, I was talking with a young person in the business who wanted to know what sorts of things to avoid, <laughs> and and I was like, you know, sometimes you should just if you have that thing that is in your head that may be just a little too far. Acknowledge that and don't say it. Just keep it keep it in your head. Right. Let it let it marinate there. Let it bounce around and uh, do not offer it out to the world because uh, you will embarrass yourself and look stupid on account of it. So in short, no, this was not foreseeable. You agree. That's yeah. I I did not think the Mariners were gonna have the offensive yeah. struggles that they did. So, so I thought that yeah. I thought that their moves in the honestly I thought their moves were good. I did. I thought that they I thought that they were going to be a better team in 2000 
2023 than they were in 2022. And they're a pretty darn good team in 2022. Yeah, we were looking at some of the projections, uh, like Dan Samborski's projection on Colton Wong this year was like a four, three and a half, four win player. And obviously it's been the exact opposite of that. I think he still has a negative war. But like, yeah, I mean, it, it wasn't supposed to go like this. So one of the things Brock brought up yesterday, which I, I tend to think was very smart, is that they put a lot of pressure on Julio, not just to deliver yep. offensively, but to really kind of find his own way in the world. And and there's been a lot of talk about letting Carlos Santana go in the offseason and not just what he brought from a um, – you know, on-field perspective, but also off the field, maybe more importantly. No doubt. The protection. And, when, no doubt. and when he left, one of the conversations was, well, you could always go trade and get him back. It's not like Pittsburgh's going to be any good. And after a brief <laughs> stint of being good, they're not. And they've lost, you know, nine of their last ten. Can you go get Carlos Santana and just bring him back? I mean, sure. But I, I don't think that that's the solution necessarily at this point. I don't think getting Carlos Santana would turn the Mariners' season around. I, I know it helped. Uh, it, it did more than stabilize them last year. It supercharged them, right? And the, he had big hits, but more than that, his presence in the clubhouse uh, was undeniably helpful for Julio Rodriguez, and uh, that goes a long way. But I, Julio's a big boy. Like He needs to figure this out yeah. by himself. And he needs to, I, I don't think he needs to understand. I think he does understand that he needs to be better. And we've been saying this now for two and a half months. Um, as Julio Rodriguez goes, so go the Seattle Mariners. And the fact that he's batting 250 with an on-base percentage barely above 300 and a slugging percentage, you know, in the 420 so- range. It's just not enough. So why not go get Carlos Santana? You can't have to give up much to get him. And maybe in addition to getting a guy who who might hit you a few more home runs like he did last year, especially if you can use him in the right spot, maybe he helps Julio unlock that and we get the Julio that we had last year back again. Hey, listen, your your point is well taken. And, and I suppose I don't disagree with it fundamentally, but... Uh, at some point, the mama bird kicks the baby out of the nest, and that baby's got to fly. But at 22? And yes, at 22. Absolutely. He, he, has, he has willingly taken on the mantle as the fulcrum of the franchise. So I, I think that, listen, there are lessons, Mike, that you are going to learn at 20 at 22, at 25, at 30, at 35, at 40. And I think Julio Rodriguez is going to be a guy who plays, you know, until he's 40. I, I still believe in the talent. I still believe in yeah. everything about him. But um, this is the first time he has seen true failure in his professional career. And and he's not having, by the way, let me just say this. He's not having a bad season by no. any means. He's just not having the sort of season that either he or Mariners fans or the organization or the public writ large expected. And, I, you know, in 2023, that is a bad thing. But for 2024, 25, and well beyond that, mm-hmm. I think he's going to really learn from this mm-hmm. and not take for granted 
that the game of baseball can turn on you in a second and can humble you even quicker. Hey, when you uh, said writ large, was that when you realized that you weren't going to be particularly handy? No, I feel like you can be erudite and handy at the same time. Huh. I would say that's a rare combo. I think that's why you hate your brother-in-law so much. Like that's a pretty rare. Oh, I combo. don't hate him. That's the that's the problem. I don't hate him. I'm jealous of him. Yep, that's what it is. Exactly my it, point. It's, yeah, it, it's it's uh, jealousy manifested in all the wrong ways. This is this is this is a true story, and I feel like we uh, when I was at Yahoo Sports we. Uh, did a podcast, me, Tim Brown, and, and Mike Oz, my, all, all my good friends and colleagues from there. And there was a segment, and it was called, Is Jeff Passing a Bad Person? And this, this is a perfect example of the question, am I a bad person? Mm-hmm. At Christmas one year, um, my, my brother-in-law and sister-in-law came to Kansas City, and they wanted to get my father-in-law a dog. And this dog that they had found was about two hours away, and it was a particularly white Christmas. And they were driving back in a snowstorm, and we got a call from them saying that my brother-in-law had lost control of the car and that they had slid on the ro- slid off the road, and the car was, like, in a ditch, and they couldn't get it out. And my first question was, are you Okay. And when they said yes, I had a smile on my face because finally I found something that I could do better than him, which is drive in the snow. Does that make me a bad person? You asked if they were okay first? Yes. Gosh. The dog was okay? Dog was fine. I think you're safe. I don't think that makes you a bad person. I'm with you. Mm. I think that's totally fair. Yeah. But I'm also not a yeah, great person. I, mean, I, so I, 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 I think I, I think you're revealing more about yourself. Right. Yeah. Mike. No, I think, I, I think we're smelling a new segment, Jeff. Yeah. Thank you. I think you know the best radio is always, always stolen radio. So I think <laughs> I think every Wednesday at eight thirty is Mike's all. I can spare you the suspense. We really don't need the segment. We already know the answer. We've learned it over the course of fifteen years of doing this together. Jeff, great stuff as always. We'll talk to you next week, uh, and then uh, see you the week after that. Can't wait. Uh, looking forward to it, boys. Right. We'll do double personal time next week, bro. Yeah. Wow. How about yeah. that? That's going to be very exciting. All right. There you go. There is uh, there is Jeff Passon who joins us every week. Yeah. Are you bigger than Jeff? I mean, we'll get to answer that. I guess uh, I think when, I you, when you guys more. are together. Yeah. Yeah. We'll have to. I guess I weigh more. I don't. I don't remember exactly. I think he Jeff's has claimed five eight. Right. I think yeah. he's claimed your I, height. I, I'm, you know what? You really are the worst. I can't believe you call me a bad person and then take gratuitous, unnecessary, and quite frankly, erroneous shots like that one. We'll be right back with some by yourselves, Brock and Salk, Sales Sports on 710.